0: In past decades, global warming has gone from a controversial prediction by a few scientists to an accepted reality of mainstream science. An accumulation of satellite and surface-based measurements all point to greenhouse gas effects sure to cause harm in coming decades. Current trends say the U.S., China, and India will make a grave situation still worse through increased reliance on fossil fuels. It's long been recognized that squandering the world's petroleum, coal, and gas resources by simply burning them for power is stupid. But what is the alternative? Progress has been made in tapping hydroelectric, solar, wind, and geothermal sources. None of these methods, however, are without environmental costs. Worse, none have been able to come online to keep pace with the vast increases of electric needs the world demands, let alone reverse our reliance on fossil fuels. Thus, a new coal-burning plant comes online in China every week. While ethanol and plant-based fuels offer some advantages, they too have a huge environmental cost, not the least of which is they still produce CO2. Nuclear fusion, the power driving the sun, holds promise. But political decisions a generation ago starved fusion research of major funding. Only recently has that changed. So if the world is to be diverted from atmospheric CO2 levels of 400 or 500 or even 1,000 parts per million, there appears to be but one short-term solution. The only energy source that appears capable of stopping the trend towards huge increases in greenhouse gases is nuclear power. At least, that is the conclusion of an ever-growing list of environmentalists. It is an impressive list. It includes names like Nobel laureate Al Gore, founder of Greenpeace Patrick Moore, Pulitzer Prize-winning author Jared Diamond, Stuart Brand of the Whole Earth Catalog, James Lovelock, author of Ages of Gaia, and Hugh Montfiori, former chairman of Friends of the Earth. Environmental concerns over nuclear power are surely not trivial, but a good look at the environmental damage wrought by burning gigantic amounts of coal, oil, and gas are frightening too. As Al Gore's film An Inconvenient Truth pointed out, our atmosphere has gone from 280 parts per million to 380 in the industrial era, with an acceleration in the process looming in the immediate future. Nuclear power does need a second look, it seems. So we shall spend time today doing just that with environmentalist author Gwyneth Cravens. Gwyneth Cravens' work, both fiction and nonfiction, has appeared in The New Yorker, where she worked as an editor, as well as Harper's, where she was an associate editor. She has contributed articles and op-ed pieces on science topics to The New York Times and Washington Post. Not so long ago, Miss Cravens was an opponent of nuclear power, joining local groups on Long Island opposed the Shoreham Nuclear Plant, a plant that anti-nuclear activism did prevent from opening. Gwyneth Cravens' subsequent examination of American nuclear facilities and discussion with scientists and engineers led her to reevaluate the role of nuclear power in our future. Thus arose her book, Power to Save the World, The Truth About Nuclear Energy. And although she's currently on vacation, we appreciate the fact that she's agreed to make time for us. Gwyneth Cravens, welcome to Radio Parallax.
1: Thank you. It's nice to be here.
0: Your book starts with an introduction by the distinguished author Richard Rhodes. I'd like to to note, as he did, a rather obscure fact that's in itself quite revealing. The mountains of ash that are produced by burning coal contains heavy metals, including uranium. In fact, so much uranium that in the 1950s, the Atomic Energy Commission actually considered using it as an ore. So we don't think of non-nuclear plants as producing uranium, but they do.
1: Yes. In fact, uh, coal-fired plants produce uh, about twice as much uranium uh, waste a year. They concentrate uranium-235 as uh, nuclear, our nuclear plants do. And uh, they produce enough of that uranium-235 to fuel all of the reactors in the United States.
0: It's one of those who-knew statistics that I think is quite eyebrow-raising.
1: If we phased out uh, coal-fired plants radioactive materials being put into the atmosphere by humans would be drastically reduced if we replaced those coal-fired plants with nuclear plants.
0: Well, I'm certain that we're going to have many, many local listeners who, who say things like, if nuclear power is the answer, then it must have been a stupid question. Uh, th- there's an opposition to nuclear power that is very vehement. Uh, you yourself were once... I know. <laughs> <laughs> yes, as you well know, you, you, you were once anti-nuclear and changed your mind. What started you seeing things differently?
1: a collection of uh, events, you know, and, and insights. And I would have to say that fundamentally, uh, I, I actually believe in the scientific method. And if you can show me sound science, I'm forced to look at that, you know, and accept it. I uh, have written about epidemiology, uh, and so am aware of the kinds of... Um, misperceptions people can have about things. They can be so worried about getting West Nile virus, for example, that they go back to smoking cigarettes. (laughs) Uh, The chances of getting West Nile virus are tiny. The chances of getting uh, terrible diseases from smoking are huge. I had some background in sort of risk-benefit analysis and so on. So when I was forced to uh, look at facts uh, uh, by trying to win an argument, with this uh, scientist, Dr. Richard Anderson, Rip, as he's known in the book, Rip Anderson, he kept bringing up annoying but true scientific facts. The things I was trying to tell him came mainly from my background as an anti-nuclear bomb activist. And um, I would march again in a minute to protest, you know, if they started testing bombs in the atmosphere again or Abrogated all the anti-nuclear weapon treaties. I think we need to abolish the nuclear weapons completely. But the facts that these anti-nuclear groups put out are uh, either way out of date, based on old and since long since debunked data, or just on ideology. Or it's uh, sometimes I say that it's the left's version of creationism. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Well, we, we have a lot of science to talk about before we're done today, but let's take a little diversion into economics, if we could. Uh, the Economist magazine noted in last September that the environmental costs of power generation when you burn coal or oil are, are generally underestimated. And I'd like to sort of cite uh, something you talk about in the book, the strip mining that goes on in places like West Virginia, where they level whole mountaintops with a very significant environmental cost.
1: They don't only strip mine them, they blow them up. The cost is terrible. To the water table, uh, these they have these big slurry ponds that uh, the, the, and slurry dams that break, and you know coal it contains things like arsenic, lead, mercury, cadmium. It's a very dirty substance. It's actually a precious resource that we shouldn't be burning because maybe in the future we'll need it. These these are ancient forests and organisms, and to just be burning them up is kind of Foolish, if you look at the big picture.
0: I remember my junior high teacher talking about how what what you could do in the future with with uh, with petroleum resources and why burning them was the dumbest thing he could think of.
1: He's absolutely right. Uh, you know, most of our pharmaceuticals come from oil, and we're just burning it to get to the store. You know, and uh, another cost of fossil fuels that's overlooked, because we import natural gas and oil uh, often from. Really nasty countries. By that I mean run by nasty guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, the military expense of protecting those routes uh, that, you know, and protecting the importation of those fossil fuels is gigantic. Uh, Blood and treasure is spent doing that. That's not factored in. Someone said there should be a bumper sticker. about that. Our kids are dying in the Middle East, so I can drive to the mall.
0: You know, I, I know a lot of people have claimed, our Secretary of State's claimed that the oil, the war in Iraq has nothing to do with oil, but I, can't, I have to say, I don't know anyone who believes that.
1: No, I don't either. Yeah, She has a tanker named after her, so I doubt she believes it either.
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Um, cost issues are, are surely not most people's problem with nuclear power, but I don't want to leave it quite yet because of the fact that Rancho Seca was a nuclear plant located just south of Sacramento. It was closed in the 1990s after activists put the issue uh, on the ballot. And one of the factors in, in that, uh, its narrow victory at the polls was there were continued cost overruns. Now you, you do note that custom building of power plants for individual sites as we do in America is costly, but the French don't do it that way. Can you talk a bit about how the French are, are, have gotten uh, 80% of their power using nuclear
1: They've done a phenomenal job. In about 20 years, they put together a, a whole fleet of nuclear reactors, got them up and running, and producing all the power that they are doing today, cheaply, and and they actually sell it to other countries. They have a, just a few standardized designs. What happened in the United States uh, is basically, okay, we have 104 reactors in operation today, and... Someone said we have basically 104 different designs. It's sort of like the early age of the automobile, you know, when they were kind of handmade. Exactly. Or rail gauges. You know, you you take the train in Pennsylvania, and then you'd have to get off the train and change it to a different rail gauge if you went to right. another state. Things like that, or pipe fitting. With you know, pipes were not standardized. That's true with nuclear plants. They were kind of they were one of a kind and. So that's one reason, uh, you know. In Japan, they've now got it set up where they just stamp out these modules in a, a central plant, and then they're shipped to what you know, whoever wants wants a reactor at their place, or, or you know, to a nuclear plant in the United States, or whatever. We didn't do it that way, and uh, now that we're going to be building reactors again, it looks very promising that NRG company. Has been the first to apply to the Nuclear Regulatory Commission for uh, permission to build two reactors to add to the South Texas Project uh, nuclear station. Those will be of advanced design, like the. Uh, we haven't had uh, new reactors come online in 30 years, so, or haven't haven't had them built in 30 years, and so a lot has happened, uh, just like. Uh, with your computer or your telephone or whatever. you know, A lot of technology has evolved since then, and that's true in the nuclear world. So these new designs are streamlined, they're more efficient, they're more economical, and um, everyone has in mind the cost. And to prevent the kind of cost overruns and foolish management, really, of the nu- nuclear plant construction that went on in the 1980s, they overbuilt, you know, they they thought the electricity demand was going to be greater. They kind of overdid everything. At Shoreham, I, I've met people on Long Island who uh, had were hired as like steam fitters at the Shoreham nuclear plant, uh-huh. and they ba- they said we only worked an hour a day, <laughs> and at night someone would come in and undo all the work we did during the day. You know, this is corruption, terrible management. That's not, that has nothing to do with the chain reaction that creates heat that heat, you know, heats right. water that creates the steam that turns the turbine. It has to do with the usual human greed and stupidity, which is, I'm sure, goes on in wind entrepreneurship, solar entrepreneurship, hydroelectric entrepreneurship. You know, it's a human thing. It's not inherent to nuclear.
0: We're speaking with Gwyneth Cravens, author of Power to Save the World, The Truth About Nuclear Energy. The thing that really scares people uh, about, about nuclear power is, is really you know, the safety and proliferation issues. Let, let's start with how safe a modern nuclear plant can be. People think of three-mile island and, and, of course, Chernobyl. What do you say to anti-nuclear activists who would argue that a Rancho Seco in your backyard risks a Chernobyl-type disaster?
1: It uh, can't happen here. It really can't. Uh, that was a big question I had, um, a, a, a big deal-breaker for me at the beginning about nuclear power when I began doing this research. Chernobyl was of a completely different design that does not exist in the West. It was a Soviet specialty. The reactor was made of graphite, which, if it gets hot enough, burns. We don't have any commercial nuclear reactors made of graphite. In fact... The first few reactors that were built in the United States were graphite, but that was in, during World War II, shortly after. That design is long gone from the United States and never was in commercial plants. Chernobyl was designed as dual use to make plutonium for bombs while making electricity. We don't do that in this country. Because it was designed to encourage plutonium production, it was set up so that it could suck in air. So during the explosion and fire, more air kept being sucked into the graphite and the oxygen kept it burning. Chernobyl had no containment. Uh, Rip Anderson said it was basically sitting in a Quonset hut. (laughs) And in the United States, all uh, reactors, whether commercial or otherwise, have to be contained by a thick containment building. The reactor itself is contained in a, a steel vessel, five inches, six inches thick steel. That is in turn sited inside of a huge building that's negatively pressurized. It has walls maybe five, six feet thick, reinforced with steel. And uh, it's, the reactor's anchored in bedrock. Okay, so let's take Three Mile Island, where we did have a partial core meltdown. What happened was the operators made a mistake and deprived the reactor of water. Since then, by the way, there's been, there was a huge investigation. Re- uh, reactor operators have to be, work out on simulators, and they're highly trained. A lot of them come from the nuclear navy now, which is, uh, has a, a fantastic safety record. 250 reactors uh, have been run by the nuclear navy and never a release of radiation from them. So it can be done. Uh, Human engineering can be done and is being done correctly now with nuclear plants since Three Mile Island. So, okay, the worst thing that could happen happened in the United States. We had a meltdown. None of the material in the reactor escaped from the containment. It it melted and vaporized some of the fuel and plated out on the inside of the containment vessel and melted down into the bottom of the reactor, down toward the where it's anchored. So it didn't get out. There were some gases that they decided to vent from the containment building. They, they went out tall stacks and were blown out to sea. The exposure to people in the neighborhood of the plant is estimated to be the average exposure, one millirem. To give an idea of uh, what that means, uh, natural background radiation in the Harrisburg, Pennsylvania area is about 100 millirem. Right, so, so they were getting one one-hundredth of the dose they would get just living there. And now that, that reactor that melted down has been replaced, the power from it has been replaced by a coal-fired plant generating that same electricity. So you could say that one of the consequences of Three Mile Island is that people's radiation exposure has gone up <laughs> thanks to increased coal combustion in Pennsylvania, because they don't have that reactor working. You
0: know, we have to talk about this issue of, of low-level radiation. This is a natural phenomenon. Uh, certain rocks uh, have a lot of, of radioactive material in them at a low level. Uh, life on Earth has evolved for, for millions of years, and this is a natural phenomenon, um, a lot of people would say, obviously, you know, your cellular mechanisms are used to seeing this and have ways of compensating, but when we calculate issues on safety of, of, of radiation, there's an assumption made that no level is considered safe, and you talk about that at some, some length in your book.
1: Right. There's a highly conservative approach, which assumes that even the slightest bit of radiation poses a risk. There are others who say, no, there's a threshold, and below that, there's no risk. You know, it's like uh, selenium. Selenium is a poison, but you, you can get selenium tablets at the vitamin store. Yes, you can. And uh, as, as a doctor, you would probably recommend to some people, maybe they should take some selenium, right?
0: Well, I haven't seen one yet, but it's a theoretical possibility. Well,
1: in theory. I <laughs> yes. mean, it's, uh, it's supposed to be good for certain yes. things. In microgram amounts, Yes. you do not want to be eating a cup full of selenium. It looks, from a lot of research that's uh, been happening in recent years, that some exposure to low-dose radiation stimulates the DNA repair mechanism, and that, in fact, life processes need some radiation, just as we need a little bit of selenium, you know, a little bit of other elements. Right. None of us is going to be exposed to high-dose radiation unless we have very serious cancer treatments. That's the fact. A nuclear power plant. If you lived next to it for a year, you would get less radiation than if you ate one banana, because bananas contain potassium forty, which yes. is in all in our bones, our our muscles. Sure. Uh, we need it. We need potassium, and one of the isotopes of potassium is somewhat radioactive.
0: Yeah, I believe you had to mention some point in the book. There was uh, someone just brought in some salt substitute, which has potassium chloride. And that that will set off a radiation detector in various plants.
1: Uh, It can. Yeah. It can. When you go to a nuclear plant, you are going to be asked whether you have had uh, any recent uh, medical radiation. Uh, They they didn't ask that before. And this woman uh, I met who was a guide in a nuclear plant in uh, South Carolina took a man on a tour through the, the plant. When you... Leave a nuclear plant. They have a radiation detector to make sure you didn't pick up any souvenirs. Yeah, right. Like you're going to get near one. I mean, <laughs> like you, you don't go anywhere near the reactor and you can't right. get in that building right. and field and all that. But they just do that, you know, just to make sure nobody's been exposed inadvertently to something. And this man set off the detector. And it turned out he had, had a treatment for thyroid cancer. And the way they treat thyroid cancer is... They irradiate it. In real life, living uh, next to nuclear plants and stuff, you are not going to get a high dose of radiation. All right. Uh, And people often confuse high dose and low dose. It seems like it's all the same thing. Believe me, it's not.
0: Yes. Anything in medicine can be toxic at high enough levels. Anyone who's gone down to Mexico and didn't put on enough sunscreen, I think, learns that.
1: Absolutely. And that's a a radiation burn, you know. Yes, it is. (laughs) That's solar radiation.
0: Yes, it is. We need to take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.